The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute. Okay, so there's actually two parts tonight. We'd like to discuss two different parts. Um, one is the deflate gate issue, which is the, the question, um, as we know, the allegations, only allegations that were made against the Patriots um, a few weeks ago, two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Um, so I'd like to discuss that from the Jewish uh, ethical perspective or Jewish law perspective. And the second part is um, we're going to analyze some of the commercials from last night's game um, and discuss also a legal analysis um, about the some of the commercials from last night. And they're actually two topics are related, as we'll see. So, so as you see here, um, anyone have one of these? Yes. Yeah. Okay, so the, the issue is um, last week allegations, it's actually two weeks ago, surfaced accusing the New England Patriots of deflating 11 of their 12 footballs before the AFC Championship game. Um, according to NFL rules, each, the way it works is each team can bring up 12 balls to the game to, to that they can um, play, play with. Um, the balls must meet certain requirements and are expected before the game to ensure that they are inflated properly. <coughs> so now, what's what is a deflated ball? Why is that a why is that better for a team or a quarterback? So it says a deflated ball can provide an advantage to the offense as the ball is lighter and easier to hold, so you can grip it better. Um, they say it also it could be thrown farther, so the quarterback can throw it farther. Um, it's easier to catch in a certain sense. Um, so. Tom Brady, it seems, likes deflated football. That's a known thing. No, it's, it's known from before. He's, he said this publicly um, and privately. Uh, the question is, again, it's allegations. Um, the question is, assuming they're true, assuming the allegations are true, um, what does that mean from a, again, <coughs> coming from a Jewish law perspective? Okay, so there's a few issues here. I'm going to start from the top, and maybe we'll get back to the end. Um, but just as far as now that the Patriots have won the Super Bowl, just important to know because a lot of people talk about, um, you know, what the punish should they have been disqualified because of this. Again, the, the investigation was not completed, but uh, what type of punishment would be the proper punishment? So I just I have to connect it to last week's Torah portion, which is we're in the midst of the Exodus. So you always want to connect the contemporary topic to the Torah portion of the week. The last week's Torah portion was the Exodus, where um, the end of the ten plagues, the last of the ten plagues is Pharaoh, um, is the plague of the firstborn, known as Makat Bechorot, which is all the firstborn of Egypt died. So it says Pharaoh himself was not killed. He was a firstborn, the Torah says, but he was not smitten, he was not killed in the plague of the firstborn. So Rashi there explains, <coughs> if you look on the bottom, it's quoted here, that the reason is, um, is that uh, actually God was sort of saving him. In a certain sense, uh, there's a, it's better many times. The worst punishment a person can have is, <coughs> excuse the pun, if a person is, his ego is deflated and he has to, he's sort of branded as, um, I guess you can say a cheater or his whole, um, right, he's completely defeated and he has to walk around publicly with that and, you know, everyone knows he's, he destroyed the country. In this case, it was the country of Egypt. Pharaoh, um, people would realize that it was all because of him. The whole country was destroyed. The whole Egyptian army was decimated. The whole country was decimated. So I was thinking that's a nice analogy here. It could be it's actually better. Patriots now won the Super Bowl, but people are thinking, did they really win? Do they really have a right 
to that title. In a certain sense, it might be better the fact that they weren't disqualified, but they won the title. But people really know they didn't they didn't get it um, rightfully so, maybe so to speak. That was one. Of the, that was a nice analogy I had. You disagree? You can disagree. There's nothing wrong. No, no, no. Yeah, I still love you. <laughs> okay, so that that was just to start with. So the, the but. At the end of the day, there's a, there's a very important thing which is relevant to the commercials and relevant to the topic <coughs> of, a, of the topic of the flake, which is there's, a, there's, a pr there's many ways to steal, okay? So Talmud talks about seven categories of theft, okay? This coming week's portion is actually the Ten Commandments. It's good to know it says one of the Ten Commandments, as we know, is thou shalt not steal. But actually, that's not what it means. That's a myth. If people think it refers to, uh, well, you know, shoplifting um, or stealing. That's not what it's referring to. The Talmud explains the, the thou shalt not steal the Ten Commandments is actually referring to kidnapping, stealing another human being. That's the prohibition it's referring to. So, so there are other places that the Torah does prohibit stealing monetary theft. Um, in the following, in the parsha right after that, parsha Mishpatim. But the bottom line is there are seven categories of theft. So one of them is, of course, kidnapping. One is monetary theft. And there's another category called, um, the Talmud calls it Kinevat Dat. Okay, Kineva Dat, excuse me. Kineva Dat is actually um, literally translated means the, the, the stealing of one's mind. Okay, um, in a certain sense, it means deception. Um, and it has nothing to do with money. So, for example, and we have here, the Talmud gives many types of examples. The classical case is what Rabbi Uzan usually does is he wants to score points with someone, so he invites you for Friday night dinner, right? But he knows, he really, he knows Bruce is leaving town tomorrow, he's going to Miami. Um, so he goes over to Bruce and says, you want to come for Friday night dinner? Knowing good well that really Bruce is not going to be here <laughs> Friday night, okay? So, so the comment says that's a classical case of Geneva Tat. You're, you're conveying a false impression, trying to make believe you're best friends with a guy, but really you don't want to have him for Shabbat dinner, but you want him to think that you like him, so you invite him knowing that he's not going to be in there. Okay, so that's called conveying a false impression. Again, you're stealing his mind, so to speak. Okay, that's one example. The other, the other example that Talmud actually talks about, one is um, where it says you open a barrel of wine. A friend comes over. In those days, they didn't have bottles. They had barrels. So your friend comes over, and you want to show him what kind of good friend he is. So you open a barrel for him. He says, wow, this guy's opening a whole barrel just for me. You know, you're going to have to throw out the rest. But meanwhile, you already have, let's say, you had sold the rest on consignment already. So you're not really opening the barrel for him, but he thinks you are. You convey that impression that you're opening it for him. So that is, again, the Talmud says that's stealing, that's technically what we call stealing his, his mind. You're conveying that false impression that he's, he's a good enough friend, you can open a barrel wine for him, which you really wouldn't. Okay? Okay, no. I'll give you one last example to just to make it understood. Another example would be, um, as a rabbi, this happens a lot. It could be it happens to, to many people. You go to visit someone in the hospital, and while you're there, you're on the seventh floor, and you meet another family, another patient. And the guy comes up to you, Rabbi, wow, it's so nice he came to visit me. Right, and you really, there's no, you wouldn't even know he's there, and you wouldn't have came to visit him even if you did know he was there. Okay? <laughs> So, so the question is, so that's another example. Obviously, you shouldn't insult the guy and say, oh, I wouldn't have came to visit you. Um, but um, there's a certain sense, if you convey that impression that you did come just for him, so that's called Ganevata. Okay, so that's a, a, 
that is uh, that is something that is uh, wrong. I mean, you Nick, very take false impression the chance as well. to take the opportunity to make you feel better. I mean, so again, so if he brought it up, meaning if he fooled himself, and that's what the Talmud talks about, if he fooled himself into thinking he came to visit, you don't have to say anything. But the point is, you can't convey that impression. Uh, something that you didn't, that you really, you know, false goodwill. It's not. Yeah. You didn't come to visit him. Again, don't insult again. Say, you know, by the way, I wouldn't have came to visit you, <coughs> even if you paid me. Obviously, you don't want to do that. But the point is, um, but but if, but again, you can't convey the false impression. So, applying that to our case here, the question would be, in the case of the Patriots. So, if someone conveys that they have a certain skill, and they really don't have that skill, so you know, they're cheating in the game. So, wh- whatever the cheating may be, in this case, it's deflated footballs or it's you know taking steroids, right? Shooting up with steroids. So that means really. Let's say take the Tom Brady case again, the alleged um, alleged issue. Um, the alleg- it was only allegations. But let's say he really ca- he he can't throw the football 80 yards. He can only throw it 60 yards without it being deflated. So he's conveying this false impression to the fans, maybe even to his coach, to the owner, I don't know whoever, depending on who knew who knew it, who knew about that it was deflated. But the point is, you're conveying this false impression of your skills. So I I think that would be similar violation of this, what we call Geneva Dat, in the sense of you're conveying this impression of, of skills that you don't have. By the way, I forgot to mention, the Talmud says, in Tractate Baba Kam, it says that there are seven types of thieves, and we mentioned seven categories of thievery, and it says that this is, that stealing, steal, one who steals one's mind is the most egregious of all seven. I'm not sure why, why that is, um, but I believe the reason is, there's two parts to it. One is, you know, you don't, like you said, you don't really take it seriously. When you convey a false impression to someone, that's part of life, you know, especially, you know, with, with, if you're on a date, you want to convey, whatever the case is, you know, you, you, it's part of, we don't really view it as a sin, and that's what in a certain sense, whenever you have a sin that's not taken seriously, in a certain sense, that's a worse sin, because you know, one thing Maimonides says is you're not going to, you're never going to repent for that sin. But if I go into Walmart and I stick something in my, in my pocket, my purse, so I know I did something wrong, so comes Yom Kippur, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do children for that, for that sin. But if I don't think I did something wrong, so I'm never really going to feel bad about it. So that's why, in a certain sense, it's the worst thing. So basically, the people that work in marketing agencies are the so biggest, get to the market. biggest criminals of all. God forbid, God forbid. <laughs> anyone here works in marketing? No, no. So it's, it's, not, it's not as we're going to talk about. We're going to get to the commercial part of it. What you, when you market, what you're allowed to do, what you can't do. But so let's first, okay. we're first we're discussing the flight cane, and then we'll get to market. <coughs> That's a good point. How do you market something yeah, if you no, can't, uh, if you can't, uh, you can't convey a false impression? Now that okay. I have a question. Very often I'll meet someone, and uh, he looks familiar, but of course I, I forgot the name. It's very hard to remember all the names of all the people you're always meeting. So I asked the person, what's a good trick? And he said, you know what, it can't hurt to just say, hey, so good to see you. You know, yeah. so good to see you. What if you couldn't care less if you saw him or not? <laughs> you don't really. Yeah, so we'll talk about you know, that. Your manner life of was speech. going great without him, and you have to see him again. You know. Yeah. So. Listen, I think that's just a manner of speech. So good to see you. No one, you know, it's like the person in the supermarket says, you know, right, right. You know, how's your, how's the day going? You know, right. that a kid give a crap about how your day is going. Right. Right. So it's so obviously that's just a manner of speech. I don't right. think that's a conveying a false impression. Okay. If you make believe you know his name and you go Bob, right, and you go, damn it. No, that might be a bigger problem. It's hard. It's hard. I met a guy. A guy, a guy spoke. We had something called the uh, Houston Jewish Chamber of Commerce. You heard of it? Uh, mm-hmm. oh, how was it? How many people? It was amazing. 
yeah. 50 people. 50 the, people? Yeah. The guy that spoke was like a real hot shot. You know who he is? Robin Grossman, the guy who spoke? Me. Uh, uh, the name escapes me. <laughs> No, no, no. He normally charges like eight thousand dollars to speak. It's totally free for this. I get you his name. So I also normally charge eight. No, so I went over to him. He had time for questions after. <laughs> and I went over to him. I'm like, can I tell you something? Can I ask you a question? Did you go? I asked him, how do I remember people's names? So he said, you have to associate your name with uh, something. with something. So I'm like, so how did you remember my name? Oh, very simple. The second you said your name was Johnny, I thought in my head Johnny Bobani. And, and Johnny Bobani. I don't know, like, he thinks yeah, of yeah, things yeah. that'll make him remind him yeah, yeah. himself. Yeah. That's that, that is and, the, uh, and I'm not kidding, this guy met like 10 people very quickly before his speech. And then during the speech, he whipped out everybody's name correctly in the in the course in the course of his talk. I don't know how that has anything to do with what we're talking about. But uh, it was a deflating thought when I uh, asked myself if I remember people's names. Okay, yeah. Anyway, so so that's so so that's a good question. When we get to the marketing aspect, how how one markets something without violating this this uh, law. But anyway, so that's num so the number one problem we're saying here. The first problem is this concept known as Geneva dot conveying a false impression. Now, if you turn the page to the back, it's a fascinating thing. It's also not only this can lead many times to stealing money because you're right. If it's not a monetary situation, like we said, I'm just inviting Bruce for Shabbat dinner. I really don't want him to come. So that's, there's no monetary theft there. But there's a, this is a response, and it was actually when I was uh, in high school, like two years ago, two, three years ago, um, I dyed my beard, by the way. Um, so, so two, three years ago, when I was in high school, I grew up in New York City, in case you didn't figure out the accent. Brooklyn, New York, actually. And there's, uh, in New York, the way it works, is anyone from New York here? So they, have, uh, so they have stand the regions standardized testing in high school <gasps> for the regions. Yes. So I don't know about these days. In my days, the way it work is, you can uh, actually buy the answer key for like. Okay, that did not happen in my school. That so did not happen in my school. You guys weren't no. So the year I was taking the chemistry regions, um, you can get 15 bucks. You can buy the answer key. And morning of the regions. So, so it was so prevalent that New York State, New York Post. Published the answer key on the front page. <gasps> Morning of the Regents, they published the answer key just to show. Okay, so this was uh, it was normal practice back then. So oh someone God. asked this rabbi, he asked uh, Moshe Feinstein, who was one of the uh, big halachic stars at the time, he asked him, what, you know, can you do this? Is it permitted to buy the answer key? Um, stupid question, but he answered like this. So he says, a fascinating here, it's on the back of the page. He says, regarding your question about that which you heard, that in some yeshivot, the students steal the answers to the questions on the state's final examinations, regents, in order to deceive the state into awarding a degree recognizing satisfactory completion of the material. He says this is prohibited not only because, he says for three reasons he prohibits it. One is, there's a concept in Jewish law called dina damachuta dina. It means the law of the land is, as Jews, besides, you have to keep the law of the land, um, because otherwise you go to jail, but there's actually halachically, that means according to Jewish law, you have to observe the law of the land. Okay, there's an obligation. As Jews, we are obligated to observe the law of the land in the country we're living in. So that's number one, he says. Besides that, he says, um, is a violation of Torah law. He explains why. Number one is, he says, this is not only that, as we mentioned, that it's prohibited to steal someone's, um, deceive someone's mind. So in this case, by cheating, obviously, you're, you're, you're conveying the, the false impression that you know that you have the knowledge. You actually know chemistry when you don't know chemistry. 
Okay, number two, he says, this is also, also actually theft because when the person is seeking a job and his employer demands someone who satisfactorily completed his secular studies in high school, he shows employers high school diploma in order to procure the job. By doing so, violate the prohibition of monetary theft. So he says, if you get a certain job, whatever that job may be, whether it's an attorney or physician or whatever job it is, and it's based on your college degree, or this guy's hiring you because he thinks you went to Harvard and you put that on your resume and you really never went to Harvard, you went to Houston Community College, okay, you went to HVC and you put down Harvard, so now he says, this, you got this job based on your Harvard degree, and now every time you're getting your paycheck, you're stealing, because this guy wouldn't have hired you if he went to HVC. Okay, so if you, you padded your resume, we'll talk about, well, that's a lot of embellish your resume, okay, but, you, but if you totally made something up, total false information, um, a degree that you don't have, and this, and you were only hired based on that. So you're saying that's monetary theft because every time you're getting paid, you're getting paid based on that, on that false information. Okay, so it's not only. What? Isn't, it, isn't it also the employer's response to check it? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure. Is it their well, job? If you say you went to Harvard. No one's gonna. They, if you, you write down. There was actually a coach. I don't remember which team. A few years back, there was a coach who was fired because he wrote he went to some university. He really had some degree, which he never. Had. A coach of a, of a national team. I don't remember. Well, that he went to college or something, right? No, there was. Yeah, uh, every few years, there's some guy who needs to, to right. graduate or something. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And there's, uh, you know, Obama claims well, he was president when he was. Uh, it meant uh, the difference is uh, uh, to lie, that, that, you, that you put your, your name in the fact that you chose to lie. So that shows something about your character. Yes, that's that's also true. Uh, uh, yeah, that's another example. By the way, we had it. We in my original one of the original Torch rabbis. Remember Baraka? We had a guy, Sephardic rabbi, like it's like 15 years ago. So he told me he had a friend who he proposed to his to his uh, fiance the cubic zirconia diamond uh-huh. and tell her. And then he never told her. And then, like uh, a few months later, she she found out. He broke the engagement. He proposed wow. with, uh, with the Cubans. Wow. Wow. Not a real diamond. No way. Not a real diamond. No, my goodness. Zirconia is a different. Right. So that's that's what's called. Uh, what So the question is. So I said then. The question is why she broke the engagement. Did she break it because she wanted a real diamond? Or like you're saying, it's the sad meaning. This is the guy I married. Who's deceiving. You know. He's a, you don't want to marry someone who's deceiving. When you like cop the it's like find out the It's not a diamond. So like. Like, okay, it's, it's not a diamond, but we'll get a diamond later on. Right, he didn't tell her. Until, like, six months later, or she no, didn't tell her. I don't know if he told her at all. He didn't tell her at all. So she brought it. I don't know the exact details of the story. The point is, so that's clearly you can aim at that. So, so that's deception, obviously. Tell her you're giving her one thing, and then it's really not that thing. Actually, uh, I saw there's a, there's a response at a wedding someone gave to. Proposed, not proposed, at the wedding gave her a ring, which was also fake. The question was, was it a valid wedding? And we thought that's a different question. Is it considered a kosher <coughs> It was done under deception. But anyway, the point, I forgot where I was going with this. Oh, so the point is, you're, so there's this concept, where most of the staying here, this response that's actually stealing. So you're not just deceiving someone if you pad your resume. If you get a job based on that resume, like obviously, any, obviously in a case like that, and anyway, if anyone's in that situation, 
don't worry. You can go to your boss and say, by the way, you know, this is this was this was really not true in my resume. Do you still want to keep me on? If the boss still accepts you at that point, so then of course you're not stealing anymore at that point. It's I, have only, to, I have to just share something. Yeah. I'm sorry. Um, my job here in Houston is my first employment. He patted his resume. Yeah, well, he told close. us he's a rabbi. No, 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 he really no, is a, is first, a minister. This is my first job. This is my first job ever, right? Wow. So I was in Israel. And, my employer, and it's not a paying job either. <laughs> right, I do it for free. Uh, Rabbi Masri, my boss, came to Israel to interview, to recruit, mm-hmm. and we met. And I gave him my resume, and he's like, mm, this resume looks very familiar. And the truth is, is that when I was looking to make my resume, the office manager of the yeshiva, where Rabbi Masri himself had studied years ago, he <laughs> pulled out a database of different resumes. Not the, I didn't copy any information <laughs> from any of the resumes, but I copied the format and the template, and of all the people, of the hundreds of alumni that I copied, I copied Rabbi Masters, my boss, and he realized, oh my and I still got the job. <laughs> see, you see that? You gotta be careful. That, now you have to believe in divine providence, okay? Everybody come for Shabbat. Everybody come for Shabbat. So anyway, so that's that's why you got to be very careful. Yeah. So 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 that's one. So that's an important issue. So we're saying number one, it's deception. So again, getting back to Tom Brady. So Tom Brady, number one, we're saying he's deceiving the fans. Number two, if he's getting his whatever his contract is, uh, 15 million a year. Okay, so every time he gets the paycheck, again, if, his, if they're paying him based on his skills as a quarterback, thinking he has certain skills, which he really doesn't, so again, if, assuming the owners and the coach doesn't, don't know, didn't know about the deception, so then that's, he's also stealing his, uh, his, his pay. So that's, that's issue number two. Issue number three, if you turn back here, from number six on the sheet, bottom of, inside the, in the bottom of the right page, so there's something called mekach ta'ut. In Hebrew, the term means mekach means a sale. Tut means a, a mistaken sale. So, so the law is, let's say uh, you go to a used car salesman, and the car salesman sells you, uh, he tells you it's a six-liter engine, and it turns out it's a, it's a four-liter engine. So in Jewish law, the halacha is that uh, the automatically the sale is null and void, retroactively. I believe it's the same in Western law. I don't know, I'm not a lawyer. But uh, similarly, it's the same in Western law. That means the sale is null and void. It's what's called a mekach tut. Okay, so so just like the guy with the cubic zirconia. Okay, if he proposed that she thought she was getting a diamond and she wasn't, so that's a it's a retroactively well, null and void sale. Not not to say that you're buying a woman with a diamond. God is, that, is that what 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 causes the, all the big companies to allow you to return an item when you don't like it? Because you oh. thought you were getting an item that you were gonna like. No, well, if no, they guarantee your satisfaction, maybe, but it's no, legally. It's, 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 it's only uh, American things. That's with a recall. You can't do that like in Israel. <laughs> in Israel, they don't. Uh, but but it actually helps for marketing. It helps you. Right, they get oh, more customers. Worst case, you know what happened to you? know in Israel? I bought something. I went back to the store. I'm like, hi, I don't, I don't really like this. Can I get the money back? You know what my, what the reaction was? 
Yeah, yeah, that is news really helpful. I walked out and that was it. <laughs> <laughs> that happened actually? Yes. Yeah, like, you bought it, that's it. That's the one you leave your hand on. That's it, it's yours. So, so the point is right, so this concept, Makartot, so it means no, mistaken no, self. Now in Israel it's actually starting to be better. It's like, at least in the, in the malls, the, the stores are becoming like America. You can return, there's like 14 days or something. So, it's, you know, it's moving in that direction. Anyway, so this is, it, by the way, by the way, this even applies to marriage. I don't want to make anyone nervous here. But even in marriage, if you marry someone based on certain pretenses, and it turns out those pretenses were false. Okay, let's say the, uh, certain things that, that turns out the person has major emotional issues. Or, so you can cl- make that same claim. You don't even need to get divorced. You can say it's, it was a mistaken sale. If I would have known this at the time that I bought, that I got the item, I would have known it. So the marriage just becomes null and void. Right. Obviously, you have to prove that it was it existed at the time of the sale. Meaning, the the Get whatever the the mistake was, it had to be there at the time of the sale. Okay. Annulment. It's like it never happened. <laughs> so, uh, so that's important to know. Anyway, in any case, so so that's another aspect here. So the question here becomes, <laughs> when you're dealing with the patriots, okay, when you're dealing with the, so there was actually when I dealt with this issue way back when with uh, Roger Clemens, when we're dealing with the uh, steroids issue. Um, so the, the same thing, the same question came up. There was an attorney in town who actually wanted to file a class action lawsuit against the Astros for uh, he claimed that anyone who bought season tickets, he was going to file class action lawsuit on behalf of the season ticket holders of the Astros because he, people, he claimed people bought season tickets based on the fact that Roger Clemens, they want to see this guy who's amazing, who has this amazing skills. He can throw a fastball at, at you know, 300 miles an hour, which he really couldn't. I made that up. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, okay, with the steroids. Um, so, so, so he he was looking to file a class action lawsuit. He actually couldn't find any other attorneys to join him because they, a lot of people didn't want to, you know, mess with the Astros. It's a very holy thing. Okay. So, so the point is, um, but technically the question is halachically, and he discussed it with me. Is there merit to his claim? Meaning, I bought season tickets based on seeing <coughs> this amazing team, this amazing player, and now it's really false, it's totally false. Okay, um, it really, really doesn't have his skills. So can I claim, go back to the Astros, or in this case the Patriots, and say I want my season ticket, I want my ticket, and I want my money back? It's a mistaken sale. Sales null and void. Okay, that's the question. So it really, it boils down to the question: Is what are they selling when you buy when when the Patriots or any national team, any franchise is selling a ticket, what are they selling? Are they selling the entertainment value? Are they selling the aspect of being able to go to the game? Um, meaning, what, for example, when I'm watching wrestling, when you go to a wrestling match, you know it's all BS and, you're, and it's all fake, but you're selling it, you're still going there for the entertainment to watch two How people, you, really watch two people you know. in tight, um, in lycra. Not the boxing, the, yeah, no, the monstrosity people. Right, the people, yeah, when you're, you're, what, what you're paying there for is, in that up, case... You didn't know it was fake. Neither did I, by the way. I love talking. Yeah, we've, we've all been Only there. later I felt like, oh, it's <laughs> like, I, I felt so cheated. Right, exactly. That's exactly the point. I have the exact same thing. When I found out, I don't know, I was probably 10 years old, I don't know. I found out, I was very upset. So that's exactly the point. So, can you get your money back? If you were going, <laughs> if you're going to the Patriots thinking that it's real, and now you realize this guy's a fake, right. so can I get my money back? That's yes. the question. So again, it, it boils, there's a lot of factors involved yeah, in, so. in how you, we're going to define what the, what, is, what item are they selling? That's really the question. 
so sorry. I'm so sorry. They cheated, sorry. they should compensate everybody. So, right, so the question is also how far do you take it? Do you say, I can, you know, if I bought popcorn or a hot dog at the game, can I get my money back for my parking also? I mean, where do you, where do you draw the line? You know, it's. So so where do you draw the line? Yeah, draw, uh, so anyway, that's what I put on the back here. <laughs> There's a number of questions on the back here. So it says on the back of the page, it says number one, question number one is number seven. It says A. If a franchise or an athlete is cheating, who are the potential victims of this Geneva death? Guys, listen to number seven A, okay, in the back. Seven A in the back here. It says who are the potential victims? Um, who's the athlete cheating? Um, is in this Geneva that is it the other players, the owners of the team, or the fans? Well, obviously, that's going to depend depend on who knew about the deflated balls, who who knew about it, who didn't know about it. Okay, who's the defendant? The player, the coach, the owner. Um, again, that would depend on who knew about it. Are these victims fooling themselves into thinking that the player is actually better than he really is? Is there any false goodwill engendered by the player? Can they get their money back on their season tickets? What about for parking, etc.? So these so these are all. Um, important questions. Um, so before we move on to the other the question of the marketing, um, there's one other last thing to end off this topic, which is the question of, um, of really the, the aspect, and I think this is something that as a society we have a problem with, I think for, for our, just for ourselves, we need to, when someone's cheating, we need to call them out and we need to say they're cheating. If you notice a lot of language over the past few, the people saying, listen, they would have won the game anyway, even if it wasn't deflated, and you know, it's, what's the big thing, they're the best team in the league, whatever it is. So, so, but at the end of the day, if someone is cheating, we need to, as a society, make sure that that's addressed, and there needs to be ramifications, exactly. So we'll see what happens when, the, when, the, uh, when they finish the investigation and what actually happens. And if it's true, let's say they do find the Patriots were cheating for the last however long, the question is, are they, they going to are they going to lose their title or not? I don't believe so. I don't believe so. They're going to find twenty-five thousand dollars, which is about to them what like a dollar. No to way, you. that's seriously. That's, that's, that's what you think. Problem. I think that's a matter of class action. <laughs> they they, they, they cheated the entire nation. Yeah. It should be a massive multi-million dollar fine on the. Oh, you cheated the entire nation. Yes, the turkey won that game. <laughs> and like, I, my so what do you think the punishment should be? Okay, I'll tell you that in a second, but my prediction of what actually happened is that when they, at the beginning of the game, they made the balls at like 12.5, and they, they have to be between 12.5 and 13.5, and like maybe when they like lifted it right after the game, maybe they were like 12.3 or 12.4. No, they looked as they were actually 11. I think. Were they 11? One, one, it was one and a half less than they was. Really? Okay, well that's pretty significant. Yeah, but they said it, they claimed it wouldn't make a difference okay, in the play. Shannon, can you take off the cap? The cap's off? Can you focus it? It, it is off. Focus. So I, I actually had everything on a, on a jump drive, but I forgot to bring it. So we're going to have to do it off the internet. So, so let's go to the next. Let's pass it to Someone 
And which one? What was your favorite series? Second quarter. Yeah, the second quarter. Getting dizzy? Can't find the one I want. Fourth quarter. One of the videos when we were starting with the second one. There it is. We're going to start with this one. So I'm starting with this. Um, Bruce, can you move the Dr. Pepper? Thank you. So, one second. So, this one, um, this was one of the videos commercials. This really has nothing to do with marketing. But this was uh, actually spoke to my heart because I've tried this on an airplane num numerous times. Really? Did you Does see it? Work? Um, it usually works. Do you know? Do you see this one? Lord, folks, just go ahead and take any empty seat that you see. Okay, so so uh, this is really this is not a marketing question. This the, the hala, there's a halachic issue with this commercial. Um, has anyone ever tried this on a plane? I'm going to. I like the one with the sneezing and the flu part. I've actually done this. Uh, um, I take my kid and put him in the middle seat, and you know. So, but the the point is like this. So the, the issue there was actually a case like this, a halachic issue, a real life question. This was in Israel. This question was posed to a rabbi in Israel, which I happened to see the response of. Not, not this case. This was on a bus in Israel. Has anyone ever traveled with an Egged bus in Israel? As you know, they don't just, besides the seats, you have like 20 people standing in the aisle. Could be a five hour trip to a lot. Everyone's, people, just, you know, you just stand. You get on the bus and you don't have to have a seat. You have people standing over you. And this. So the story was this is a real case, a live case. This guy took a hike with his family. He had like six kids seven kids, he gets on the Egged bus and it's full, there's not a seat on the bus, it's after a long day of hiking, it's hot, like everyone's sweating and uh, he, he wants seats for his kids. So he whips out his cell phone and he called, make, he's making a phone call to his wife and he calls his wife, everyone's standing in the office, there's no seats. Uh, so he calls his wife and he goes, uh, you know, honey, I, yes, I spoke to the doctor, just called back and we all have the flu, every single one of us, we all, <laughs> we all got it. Um, so this is what he does. It's a fake phone call. And this is a true story. And uh, at the next stop, the bus makes the next stop. Like basically, everyone around them was sitting down. Got off. Got off at the next stop. They didn't want to be at the. And then he took their seats. Okay. So he then he felt he must have felt guilty about it. It was like you know like eight or ten people got off the bus. So he came to ask the rabbi, is he obligated to to try to track down those people, pay for their tickets because they lost. Not only did he get their seats, but he also, they obviously lost their tickets, because they got off the bus, they paid full price for the ticket to go wherever it was from uh, oh, wow. up north to Jerusalem, or whatever the case was, and now they've lost the money. Okay, so does he, is he obligated to pay for their tickets? What would you say? Good luck, Trucky, <laughs> 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 So what would you say? Does also, he, would he, how does he know that the people got off? Because <coughs> they 
Well, it was clear when you know when you say you have the flu, and this guy's like sitting, here, you know, puts a napkin, you know, <laughs> over his head, and then they get off the next stops. Just the people around you. It's pretty clear that. Uh, it was their choice to get off the bus. They didn't have to get off the bus. Okay, that's good. That's you say it's not his problem. People are sick on buses all the So listen, the question, it's a different question. If you're sick, should you be gone in the bus in the first place? But, but in this case, he really wasn't, but he was deceiving them. Clearly, it's Ganeva that. The first issue we mentioned, which is you're deceiving them, making believe you're sick. You're conveying a false impression. That's for sure. But that's not a monetary theft. The question here was, is he obligated, was there a monetary violation in the sense of they lost the tickets, their tickets, because of him, because of his deceiving them. Because before he, she's moving away. I'm not saying. No, 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 no. Okay, so you're saying it was their prerogative. They could have stayed and gotten the flu. It was their choice. I think if you feel bad, you can always. Well, there's no guarantee you're going to get the flu either. That's true. I think if you feel bad, you can always donate the money to charity, but I don't. I think trying to knock them down is not. Sign this guy up to Yeshiva. Samudic scholar. This guy's good. What do you say? Let's say it was six. Do what? Just get the bus company. Well, the bus company got their money. This is not silly for the bus company. So it's similar to what he said. What do you say again? You said. Anyone else? What do you say? Good answer, good answer. Anybody else? So that the rabbi said in this case um, was actually a, it was Esther Zilberstein, the famous rabbi in Israel. So he said that technically speaking, legally, halachically speaking, they're exempt from paying because, as Jessica said, they didn't he didn't tell them to get off the bus. It was just what we call in, in Jewish law. It's called causation. Listen, you might have been the cause, but if I cause someone damage. I didn't actually do the damage with my, I didn't steal from them, literally. I just caused their, them to lose something. So that's not legally, they're legally, right. You're legally not obligated, that's what he said. But he did say, um, because he said that's called, what's called in a court of law, there's no recourse in a Jewish court of law. But he said when, it, you know, technically when he gets up to heaven, he's still responsible. He, he actually caused them a loss. So even though there's no legal recourse, he said he should pay them. Obviously, again, it's a problem tracking them down. He doesn't know who they are, and there's no way to track them down. So he said, he like, as you both said, he said he should, in cases like that, when you steal from the public, you steal from someone, you can't really repay them. So what you do is you donate to a public cause to, to sort of uh, rectify your sin. So what you do is you, you, uh, you know, donate a park bench, something that the public can use, hoping that eventually that those people who you stole from <coughs> will be able to partake <coughs> of your kindness, so to speak. So really, he's agreeing with, uh, so you're right, Hannah. 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 So he's well, agreeing Hannah. with Hannah and? Brian Chuck of hand sanitizer. Okay. <laughs> All right, so that's, that, that's, that, that's commercial number one. So, um, so that, that really has nothing to do with marketing. But um, if you open your, your hand down here, you got the second hand up. You went on to the 
fix, finish with the plate of football. Okay, so let me see if I can find the next. Uh, you got it? Oh, you're in the football. Oh, you got it? You have the. Yeah, you need to hand the mat. Sean, you. This was the commercial. Yes, now we're on the commercial. Okay, so. Um, Man, you're quick. This is only happening over the weekend. It happened last night. I was up all night. So the next one is this one. Now I think that was conspiracy. <laughs> so the next one is sprint one. What? Pre-game, the pre-game starts pre six hours before. For six hours before. minutes of play. It's not like soccer where it's like 90 well, minutes. Oh, don't believe yourself. Game. Everyone watches the halftime show. Actual, actual, actual sports. 17 minutes. I gave a class during halftime. You gotta think, someone has been training their whole life to be a shark. Okay, so the first thing, by the way, it says here, this, 30, this year, the average 30-second spot was cost 4.5 million dollars for 30 seconds. Okay, that's a lot of money. Oh my goodness! That's, that was the average. 4.5 million for a 30-second spot in the Super Bowl. That's like what a waste of money. Okay, so this is commercial. This is exhibit number one. So this one. Okay, so, so, um, is that legal? Is that? No, it's clearly legal. Why is that okay? That should be considered animal cruelty. That's a different question. By the way, I once was called, this is a true story, that animals in commercials, uh, kid you not. So I once get a voice message on the machine, this is like six, seven years ago. Huh? So the, this is um, this is the message I get in my voicemail. Says Rabbi Grossman, um, my name is so and so, calling you from uh, both. I live in Baltimore, Maryland. I got your number. I heard you're an expert. You're, you're an expert rabbi in castration. I need to speak to you about a question. Um, what? This, this is the voicemail I got. I heard you're an expert in castration. So I call the guy back. It sounds interesting. So, I call <laughs> so the guy tells me. Um, he says, uh, you know, my name is so-and-so, I actually, I, I do, I have a business that I rent out animals for commercials, exotic animals for commercials. Um, I train animals, exotic animals for commercials, and I rent them out. And he actually says, I have a, a ranch in, near your, near Houston, and um, he knows, he's, he's a religious Jew, and there's a law, by the way, it's good to know, for any of you have pets, there's a biblical prohibition on even castrating animals, not just humans. It's biblically prohibited to castrate animals. Um, so he wants to know. He has he told me he has 
two, I forgot what the animals were at the time, two animals that are going nuts and he needs to do something about it. So he wants to know the halakh, the proper way and how to catch it. So that's a whole different class. We'll do it maybe a different time. But uh, we'll just, uh, so you're talking about animals and commercials. So this guy, that was, it's actually his business. Okay, so that, that's just as an aside. If anyone wants to speak to me after class Cash about castration, we can, uh, I actually am an expert, by the way, and I do consult on castration. I charge. I actually am an expert. At this, after that, I started, I figured I'll become an expert. Oh my gosh, wow. Okay, so, uh, so, um, so exhibit A is print. So there's, there's a few interesting things here. So number one is, I actually did the research. So anytime you see a commercial, you should research it. Don't believe it. So this is from a, a site called digitaltrends.com, where they say, of course, there are a few catches to the deal. First of all, Sprint will only cut the service portion of your bill in half. So the cost of your devices isn't included. Make matters worse, Sprint's deal, so you understand what's happening here, Sprint is advertising. If you bring in your AT&T and Verizon bill, by the way, I happen to use T-Mobile, and they, don't, they won't do it for T-Mobile, because they're actually cheaper. So that's, they only yeah, advertise for T-Mobile. So, uh, but the point is, so they're advertising, if you bring in your bill, I'll cut it in half. So listen to this, they say, to make matters worse, Sprint's deal requires you to trade in your AT&T or Verizon phone, in 30 days you'll be hit with a $200 non-return phone charge. Then you have to buy a smartphone for its full unsubsidized price on Sprint's Easy Pay. So they won't give you, you know, like the deal is usually when you start a new contract, <coughs> you get the phone for, you know, 100 bucks or 50 bucks, and you can get the best phone out. So they charge you full price for a new phone um, or its phone leasing plan. In the end, it turns out that you may save big on service charges, but you'll lose big on device payments. To clear up the confusion, CFO of Sprint, Joe Utenor, okay, He's a Hasidic guy now. He assured investors at a Merrill Lynch conference on Tuesday that the deal still offers great savings, even though the average discount for most users is much lower than the promised 50%. This is quoting the CFO of Sprint. He agreed, he said at this news conference, they are still probably getting a 20% sort of net discount. Okay? So this is the CFO of Sprint basically yes, saying that it's really a 20% discount. So the question is, um, is, this, is this called false advertising in the sense at least halachically, number one is the problem of um, what we mentioned before, geneva um, dat, okay? Geneva dat, which is deception. You know, there's a certain sense of deception here. You're saying you're saving 50%. Would you define this as geneva dat or not? I would. You would. I mean, you could, you could argue that the, uh, the subscriber has to do his own research. This is just to lure you in. Right? Then you gotta read the fine print. Can we, can we see the, the Fine print, read it. Get unlimited talk text in the US and we'll match your base data allowance. Just in turn, turn in your old phone. Just turn in your old phone and lease or buy a new on the Sprint Easy Pay. Sprint All on the Sprint network. You plan may not be exact match. Unlimited time offer subject to credit and value. 
does. It says right in the beginning. What? Just turn in your old phone and Lisa buy a new one with Sprint. No, it's saying you have to Lisa to buy a new phone. It says So, so the truth is, and question is, how long was this on the screen? Because we're freezing it. Let's let's go back. No one can read that. Let's try again. Let's see how long this is on the screen. Let's count. It's not how much time, it's so, it's the, it's and you so can small, you can't read, read it. it. You can barely read it with the uh, screen this large. I don't large. think the, right. point, the point of fine print is if you read it on the screen, I mean, look at medical commercials, they have more fine print yeah, than that. Terrible. Medical yeah, commercials, terrible. you can actually die from the... No, <laughs> that was... Simple commercial that says, we are the best in the world, we have the best car, we have the best whatever. I mean, that is a Gnefadat. So we're gonna, we'll, uh, we're gonna talk about that. So first of all, that's true. Comparative advertising, by the way, is permitted. I put down here as long as you're, as long as you're saying it honestly. If you're saying, listen, our car has this over there, or our phone plan has this over there, that's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. You're allowed to comparative advertise something. Question becomes: There's two things. One is if you're saying buy our product, um, there's, there is a prohibition in Torah. What's called the Iver. Torah says literally means you shall not place a stumbling block in front of the blind. It's understood in many different ways. One of them, um, one of the interpretations Tom says is even giving bad advice. I mean, if someone comes to me, let's say as a rabbi, or someone comes to you for advice, as an attorney or whatever it is, even not in a professional setting, and you intentionally give them bad advice, okay, they say, should we buy this house, okay? And you really want the house for yourself. So you say, nah, it's not such a great house, don't buy it. Okay, but you, because you want that property, that same property. So that's a biblical prohibition known as So the question is in advertising in general, if I'm pushing a certain product in marketing and that product is not, and I'm claiming it's the best product, I'm advising someone to buy this car when it's not the best car. So that in itself could be a problem. Okay, that's, that's one aspect. Um, of course, if you're berating someone else's product, so that's a whole different problem. That could be Lajanara, it could be Moses Shemra, which is libel if you're saying someone else's product is bad. But, but we're not even going to go there. We don't have enough time to go through all the cases. Um, but one thing, so I want to discuss what he says about, um, am I allowed to push my product? You know, am I, I'm not going to say this is the best car. So there's one other, let me show you one other exhibit here. One other commercial, if I can find it. Mm, this is, anyone see this one? Actually, Two of them. This, let's do this. There's two other commercials to show you. One is this one. Kickstart for Mountain Dew Kickstart. Oops. Wait. Oops. Hey, pass me a kickstart.
Coconut water. 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 Coconut they're basically saying you drink Kickstarter and you'll be able to live. Well, it's obvious. Your whole life will change. Red, yeah, Red, Bull, gives you, Red Bull gives you wings. <laughs> 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 Wait, you don't need Red Bull. Red Bull gets fun. But that is like everybody. There, it's not really giving about that because it's humoristic. Everybody knows it's not real. Let's see. 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 Let's see.
Okay, so let me explain. So listen to this. We, we get the lights back on. We're going to finish off here. We're almost done. So look at the back of the thing here. So there's, a, there's actually, there's a, there's a Gemara, there's a, the Talmud talks about in uh, Tractic Tubot. It says that if you go to a wedding, okay, and, uh, and the bride looks like hell, okay, so it says you need to tell, you still need to tell the groom that she's beautiful. You need to lie and tell the groom she's beautiful. That's what the Talmud says. Well, technically you're not lying because the bride is always beautiful yeah. in her wedding. Well, okay, so that's a good point. So look what it says here. Look in the back. It says like this. Our sages taught, how does one dance in before the bride? There's a special song. It's actually sung today. At, uh, if you go to Orthodox weddings, they sing this song. In Hebrew, the words are, Kate said, Meraktin Lefnea Kala. How does one dance in front of the Kala? Kala Nava Chasuda. Okay, it says, we praise the bride as, the first opinion says, so it's an argument. Has everything in Judaism? Beit Shammai says, we praise the bride as she is. Beit says, no, in all cases, no matter what she looks like, okay, she's beautiful and, and a charming bride. Okay, you gotta say, you always gotta say she's beautiful and charming. Okay, says, says the Talmud, now if she was lame or blind, do we still say she's beautiful and charming? Okay, I mean, there's a limit. How far do you go? So, but the Torah says, distance yourself from falsehood. You know how to lie. So Beitil said to Shammai, according to your view, someone made a bad purchase in the market. Should one praise it in the purchaser's eyes or denigrate it? So a guy comes home with his car, okay, went to CarMax, comes home with his car, and it's and the car's a piece of hooey, right? It's a 2000, it's a 1997 Kia, uh, you know, Hyundai, okay? So, <laughs> 1994 Hyundai. That was before the Hyundai's were, were nice. Okay, so do you tell the guy, I can't believe you bought this car? The point is, once someone bought, made the purchase, you know, you don't make the guy feel bad. The sale's done. You, know, you don't tell the guy, listen, you bought a piece. So it's the same thing with a, with a woman. You don't tell the guy at his wedding, you know, this is what you marry? I mean, it's not, you know, right? So, so he says, Spectilla. Therefore, he says, of course, you would agree, he should praise it. So we should therefore praise even an ugly bride. He says, you have to tell the guy, she's gorgeous. You tell the groom, the bride's gorgeous. You always tell it to the groom. Okay, so the question is why. So she's saying the reason is well, what did you say? What was the reason? Oh, because every bride is gorgeous. Uh, uh, the bride is in the eyes gorgeous. of the groom. So that's one way to understand the it. The bride's always gorgeous. Right. The morale of Prague says beauty is in the eyes of the beholder. Therefore, if listen, obviously he's marrying her. There's only two choices: marrying her, either for her money or for a look. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the, the question is why is he marrying her? Um, I'll tell you a quick story. I, when I was dating. So um, I always tell I give a class <coughs> a JFS for a quick story and then we'll finish. So the, the point is, so I was dating this girl, every, she had everything on my list, everything was great. Um, but there was one thing, the looks weren't that great. It wasn't like, so I was sitting at a bar mitzvah with my brother-in-law, and he's much older than me, I was asking advice, what should I do, you know? Everything is perfect, you know, he said, listen, you know, he gave me the speech, you got to compromise for marriage. You know, it's, it's all about compromise, marriage is always about compromise. So then, uh, then this like old decrepit woman walks in with like, a walker. He said, she looks something like that. So he goes, listen, you got to compromise for marriage. You don't have to be a martyr. 
So that's an important aspect to when you're dating. You need to compromise. It's about compromise, but again, you don't have to be more. So something I always tell over to in my marriage uh, 101 classes. But the point is here, so right, so he's saying you need to lie. Um, once the guy, once he's married, once he's at, is at the point, the point of no return, you gotta lie. Okay, so, so it's the same thing really, in, in the point is, there's a concept, so the other answer, why it's not lying, why, how could you lie? So one answer is, like she's saying, beauty in the eyes is the eyes of the beholder. But the other answer is, you, you're not, there's, there, you're allowed to embellish, so to speak. Going back to the resume, going back to marketing, it's all about, there's nothing wrong with embellishing. It's not lying. Embellishing something is not lying. Why is that? Because, because there's certain things, as we mentioned before, it's a manner of speech. Everyone knows when you're watching the Kickstarter commercial, it doesn't mean because I'm going to buy some Mountain Dew, I'm going to be able to start dancing. Like, like all of a sudden, my party's going to turn into this wild party. <coughs> and, and, I mean, I assume 90, I would say 96% of Americans watching the commercial last night didn't think, listen, there are 4% who believe, who yeah. went out to buy a Mountain Dew, no. thinking that would be surprised. Uh, right. so there are 4% of people who do actually do believe it. And there are actually probably 20% of the guys watching the, the truck commercial believe now that they're going to get the one of their dreams because they're buying a Chevy Colorado. Yeah. That's a little higher. Okay. <laughs> Especially people in Houston. Okay, so, so the point is so, but that's, they're not deceiving anyone there. It's understood. It's another Gemari. I'll just read this last paragraph and then we'll finish it off. Okay. It says like this. It says, um, A and B, this is actually in the Mishnah, contracting the Dharma. It says, A and B are locked in price negotiations. A asks for $4 for the product and B could count this with $2. Okay, so they're both um, negotiating. Okay? And upon hearing B's bid, A proclaims, he says, he makes, he takes a value. He says, if I accept anything less than $4 for this product, for, um, let bread be forbidden to me by force of value. I'll never eat bread the rest of my life. Okay, then it says B then counters and he says if I offer anything less than two dollars, meaning and if I end up paying anything less um, less than two more than two dollars, then I'll, I'll I vow that I'll never eat bread the rest of my life. What happens? It says the deal is concluded at three. I skipped the punchline here. The punchline is it says and they both can eat bread, even they both took a vow saying they will never eat bread the rest of their life, and they fulfilled technically the criteria meant. They, they vowed never to eat bread. It says the Talmud, they can eat bread. Why? Because it's understood when you're negotiating, that's part of negotiations. You make, you make, you take an extreme stance in negotiations. And therefore, it's just a matter of speech when you're negotiating. People understand, you really didn't mean what you said. You didn't mean to say, I'm never gonna, no way, I'll never go down less than this price. Obviously, they understood, you gotta go down for the right off. You're not lying. The point is you're, you're exaggerating. You're allowed to, that's what negotiations is. Negotiations means, I'm saying I will never sell it. You start off negotiating and say, I'll never sell this car for less than $20,000. Of course, you end up, you know your final price is going to be fifteen at the end of the day. Unless the person just says, okay, I'll take it. <laughs> yes, so if you have this naive guy, he'll, he'll take it, so that's fine. But the bottom line is, so the same thing with advertising, it's understood, it's in advertising it's called puffery. Puffery is permitted. Puffery means embellishing the product. Everyone knows products are embellished. No one thinks if you buy a, a uh, what less is a Kia Soul, then you're going to get a date with Kate Upton. You know that's not what. You know just because Kate Upton was driving the car doesn't mean you're going to. Oh, it doesn't. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, so, so that's something that that it's obviously clear to again to 99% of Americans. You have that 1% who it's not our fault, but they they really believe. It. So that's why I believe most of the cases in advertising, it's not really. Uh, now, if you're dealing with saying 50% off, that's a different problem. <coughs> 
so we're out of time, but we'll, uh, we'll meet again next year. Next, next year? Why not next year? After Super Bowl. Next year. Unless you want to cast a uh, class on castration, then we can talk. Oh, that's not my forte. Guys, can I make a few announcements? First of all, thank you very much, Rabbi. Thank you very much, Rabbi Grossman. Um, a few things. Number one, I'm going to pass around my, my phone, and if anybody wants to make a small donation to help us cover the cost of food. Number two, uh, next week, uh, talk is going to be at Moshe House. So I would love for you guys. Thank you.